Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and a video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're currently in Vigan in the North Philippines, exploring this area for the first time. Highly recommend coming, checking out this part of the Philippines if you're visiting the Philippines. I have a lot of pictures, videos, blog posts all about our travels, so make sure you check it out at daddyblogger.com. And as we're traveling, we're continuing our podcast series. And one of the things I love interviewing uh, one of the people I love interviewing on my show is fellow dads, fellow entrepreneurs, fellow coaches, fellow authors. And I have all of the above on the show today in one person. And uh, he's a nomad too, <laughs> so even better. Uh, so our guest today is Coach Azul, and he is an Amazon best-selling author. He's also a coach for aspiring and new authors to take their dream book idea and turn it into cash, getting the book published. And um, that's one of his skills. He's also a podcaster too. So there's another common interest of both of ours. We, uh, he has a great podcast all about the book uh, writing journey. I was a guest on his show. So I'll have the link below so you can um, listen to that interview. And he's a nomad. He spends half of the year in uh, New Jersey, in, in, uh, in um, what do you call it, Austin, Austin, Texas. And he spends the other half of the year in uh, Portugal, in uh, Europe. So he gets the best, best of both worlds, summers in Europe and summers in the U U.S. So he can avoid those, uh, the cold and uh, the, the gloomy weather. And, uh, you know, his, his big passion is the book publishing. And not only for himself, but getting other people published as well. So super excited to have Coach Azul here on the show and gets his wisdom all about the book publishing journey. Uh, so Azul, how are you doing today, my friend? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Ricky. It's glad, glad to be here. Glad to have you here. And I just want to apologize, everyone, if there's any Wi-Fi issues. Uh, unfortunately, life is a digital nomad means you're never going to have perfect Wi-Fi. So apologies if there's any internet hiccups or glitches. Um, so Coach Azul, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your history, your background, and your story. Why don't you share that with the listeners and viewers here today? Yeah. So I spent 22 years as a teacher an educator, a principal, a university instructor. And um, I always had the, the desire to want to, to write books, but I didn't really have the courage, I think. I had helped lots of young people. So I started publishing print-on-demand and Amazon uh, in 2007. So I've been doing it for a while. But the thing that about it that was so unique was that um, most most of my, my early publishing work was with young people. I wanted them to be over the fear of writing and publishing a book. So if you're 14 and you're a published author, man, that fear just disappears. You, don't, you can put that on your resume at a 14-year-old. Uh, so I helped a lot of young people publish their books. And one of the days, the student said, hey, where's your book? And I just felt my heart sink because I wasn't doing what I was teaching kids. So uh, I set out to write this book. And not only write a book, but I wanted to become digitally free like I wanted to be able to travel the world and I you know as a teacher you have to show up you no one can do your job in your classroom you have to be there that's a difficult job to outsource so, so even substitutes are hard to come by so what I did is I, I started studying these really amazing people online Pat Flynn's of the world who runs smart passive income blog uh, Chris Gillibo who runs the world domination summit who does some great travels as you probably know him uh, from his travels all, all 193 countries I started to follow Yarrow Stark, another great entrepreneur who does travel. And I started to learn. I, I wasn't very successful starting a blog because I just didn't know what I wanted to write about. 
<laughs> seems kind of funny because I was a teacher. But I was really thinking about my next iteration of my life. So I, I set out to write a book, and the book was called The Art of Apprenticeship. And I wanted to figure out, could I, could I become an online entrepreneur by learning from people right in, in their presence rather than, than fumbling around online? Because I was struggling. So I wrote this book about how do you grow mentorship, how do you build a relationship, and then find your way into that world. And uh, basically, I used those principles to, to go to a conference with Pat Flynn. And Chris Ducker, who actually uh, also was, uh, he was based in the Philippines. And I sat there, and you're supposed to go to this one-day business mastery class or business breakthrough class and pitch your business idea. The problem was I didn't have a business. I just had wrote a book, and I spent 30 days before the conference writing that book. Talk about public, right? You talked about this on my podcast, public accountability. I only had 30 days to write the book. And every day I posted a video on, on social media, what I was doing, where I was. Halfway through, I lost the manuscript because I wrote a book. Like, so I kept it very public so that I would have to do it. And I, I shared my journey and my book and my idea at this mastermind. And that had launched me into a new place because everybody came up afterwards and said, how did you write that book in 30 days? Tell me about your process. How did you know what to write? And that's really how I started my world online was writing a book. The book did really well. It still has 53 five-star reviews. It's, uh, it was bestseller. And, and I think the more important thing was it helped me realize I could do this. I had, I ghost wrote books for other people. It was another way I started my work. It's like people who didn't write books, I would ghost write books. But now I, I coach people and help them find their true message, show the style that they want. And I'm glad there's people like you, Ricky, teaching how to do digital nomad life with families. Cause that's something I wish I would have done earlier. Uh, than I did. But that's how I started. That's how I really got into this authorship and I became a TEDx speaker because of my book. I want people to understand your book has residual effects outside of Amazon. Yes, absolutely. You know, there's a huge benefits. whether or not I'm sorry I'll give a pause you were saying something when I jumped in uh, no sometimes there's a little bit of a lag so I'm not sure exactly when uh, your point is finished so apologies if I do interrupt here and there it's not my fault blame the internet hashtag uh, so in terms of uh, your journey to transition from an author to actually coaching and mentoring and supporting people uh, tell us about that transition because it's one thing to become an author, whole other thing to help other people become authors too. Walk us through the, how that transition looked like for you. Well, the first thing was uh, people, every, and I think this comes from my teaching days. I believe everybody has messages and stories inside of them to tell, uh, but people have a lot of fear. And we're taught in schools, editors, not writers. And I think that's, that's a notion a lot of my teacher friends would get upset when I would say this. I'm going to say, just think about how you construct an email. You type, you edit, you type, you edit, you fix, you edit. You, you turn it a paper, you do it the last minute because you're just trying to figure out what do I need to get a good grade. You're not trying to write a moving piece or something you care about. You're just, you're just satisfying a grade. 
I'll, I'll make this as good so I get the fewest red marks as possible. Not so that it's inspiring or good message or it makes me take action. It's not why we're taught to write. So most people are really good at editing and the best editors are usually the people who got A's in English. But the people with really great stories, they often got F's in, in flunked English. Um, and they have something to tell. So I start with, well, what is it you have to say for the world? So I start with their message first and what's their big why? What do you want this book to do for you as the author? If you want it to, you come, that's one reason. If you, if you want it to grow authority, that's a different reason. You have different purposes and so I, I figure out what's their big why and what's their message so that when they get to write their book, they can know what to expect in the outcome. Yeah, so some great suggestions there. So when people are starting out, they got to figure, figure out the bigger purpose in terms of why are they writing the book and what do they want to achieve? What results do they want to get? What outcomes? Uh, so you start there and then uh, walk us through your coaching process. Like how does it look like? Are you um, giving them homework every week? Are you doing video calls? Are you, uh, uh, you know, like uh, giving the feedback on the book itself in terms of the title and the content of the chapters? How does it look like if someone's working with you on a very practical level? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, if I'm working one-on-one, -on -one, it's definitely different than I'm working with a group. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what, what does happen is I get that a lot of early feedback to get clarity. So that means what's the message? What's the focus of the book? What's the, what's the, what's the, the title be? Uh, we really try to work early on about getting those ideas together. And I do give them homework. I give them exercises. Here's what you do this week. Uh, send it to me. And I created it in my, so I have an online academy called the Authors Writing Academy. And that's a self-paced program. But I'll also send my coaching clients there. I go, go do module three on lesson four and then send it to me. So I will direct them to specific modules. And the reason I built the academy at first was a little bit for my own purposes, which was I got a little tired of repeating myself about how to upload a book to K KDP, how to, <laughs> how to pick a category. So I, I did that at first. And then I realized I could teach the other stuff too, which is how do I decide on a title? How do I know if it's a good title? Uh, how do I know how to write a book description? So I, I created these modules for my coaching clients. And then I realized that it was good enough that people could started to go through them on the it's a mix of, of giving them homework and steps along the way, as well as checking in and meeting with me to make sure they're on track. And a lot of it is holding them accountable for what they say they're going to do. And not just, it's not just a course. You can buy a course and never write a book. Um, you need accountability. And inside the Academy, we even have accountability structure. Like I created, uh, I say me, I said my husband, he created a tracker where you put in the exact day you want to start and it tells you 30 days from there how many words you need to write each day and whether or not you hit your goal and it manages your tracking. So that way you can't fool yourself. People fool themselves and say they're writing and all they're doing is staring at the screen or editing. They're not writing. So this is the only tracks word count. That's all I want to know is how did you put on a page. So that's some of the process I work through. And, and then the, the second half of the process is getting the editing phase. How do you how do you find an editor? How do you self-edit? How do you know if it's proofread to the right quality? How do, I, how do I design my book cover? Where do I look for covers? What makes a good cover? So all those pieces are also things I coach them on and provide that the Authors Writing Academy. 
I wish I'd done your academy before I started writing my books because I had to do all of the laborious trial and error. I actually just, when I did my kids' books, I walked into the local bookshop here in the Philippines. It's called a National Bookshop uh, and Booked. Those are the two big chains. Walked in the bookshop, walked in the kids' section. I just started studying kids' books. I'm like, what do these books have in common? How do the back covers look like? Um, you know, how do the illustrations look like? How much text is on there? That was my research, but I wish there was someone like yourself who I had met earlier who would give me that, the, the wisdom in advance because, man, that took me a lot of time and I made so many mistakes. Like, for example, my book cover, I have 12 different versions of my book cover. My first version sucked. It had, like, multiple pictures, multiple fonts. It just looked terrible. And I actually have a graphic, and the graphic is the evolution of my book cover, and it shows you from the first version all the way to the 12th or 13th version and then finally the final version and then you can see the progress from like terrible book to outstanding book so you know what you've done obviously is created a great resource for people uh, so they don't have to do that hard uh, make those mistakes because if you have to keep editing you got to pay that graphic designer the book uh, publisher uh, to actually keep yeah yeah so you know what you've done is definitely boiled it down so what would you say um, in terms of like, what would you say based on all of these people you worked with are uh, qualities of a good book, like uh, in terms of the title, cover, content, any kind of like um, themes come out in terms of a good quality book versus like a great book, an average book and a terrible book? You know, two things. The first one is it's all, all external, meaning that the First thing is, if you can't explain your book, this is the test I give people. I said, if you can't explain your book to, to the simplest person and they get too complicated. So here's my example. If you're in the line of a grocery store and you turn around and there's a nine-year-old girl and she says, what's your book about? If you can't explain it to her in a, in a sentence, then it's too complicated. And if you turn around to the, a 99-year-old woman and she doesn't understand, it's too complicated. I, even if your book's meant for a third, four-year-old woman, you have to be able to make it so simple that the idea is clear. Um, and that's the biggest problem. The, the outside is already, it doesn't matter how good the inside is. If the outside doesn't tell the message, you've already sort of lost the, the, the battle. A lot to do about the marketing part that we talked about my podcast. The second thing is, too many people think of a book as a transaction, meaning they think of a book as I have knowledge in my head and I want to give it to someone else. And the problem with that is, is people don't read books for knowledge. We'd like to think they do, but they don't. And my proof is, do you, is your bookshelf filled with textbooks that you sit down and read for pleasure? And if they're not, that's because that's not how we read books. That's how we're taught to do it because we're forced to, but we don't do it naturally. Well, some of us might, but very, 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 very few. The majority of us want to be compelled by another human being. We're, we're deeply rooted in story and significance and purpose. And if your book doesn't have that in it, if it doesn't have the why and the, and the what, they're not going to care about the how. So if you're trying to even teach them how they want more of the first two things. And I, I think that's what I make sure people understand so that people will talk about their book, will talk about their message, will invite them on the news program, will have them on their podcast. 
make it easy to talk about and inspiring to share. So you talked about two key components, obviously the book interior, the content, the, the why, the purpose, and then of course the book exterior, the cover, the graphics, the logo, uh, the design. So tell us about, uh, you know, they always say don't judge a book by its cover, but we all do. We all look at a book and we're like, this is why I want the book. We don't really like read through like five pages and then decide. It's more or less the cover. So what, what do you feel based on your experience and expertise makes a good book cover? Uh, the great book covers are covers that look like the genre they, they, they're supposed to be in, right? So if I like books that are like Captain Underpants, let's keep it family oriented. Um, I want, and I see another book that looks like it. I make an association. Oh, that's a book I would like because I like that book. I'm not saying imitating the, the color, but it should look like the age appropriate genre book. If I want to read a book about sci fi fantasy, you have to fit within the genre because readers will already discount your book if they don't think it looks like a book they'll enjoy. And if they read this book and they enjoyed it, they're already making an association if your book looks like it, they're going to give it a fair shot. If you bought and read the chapter and go, eh. And because part of you already disassociated yourself from the, liking the book. So you have to have a cover that looks genre you want to be a part of. If you want to be the next, you know, um, Nicholas Sparks, then, and that's the kind of book you want to write, then your cover should look like genre so that they feel like they know your book they should like it they're connected definitely i definitely say we judge books by our cover no matter how much you want to say they don't some of the best-selling books have aren't even the best written books they're just really well designed and marketed uh, that doesn't mean i should say everyone should just market really bad books i'm just saying half the battle is getting people to open it and think it's good it is. It is definitely half the battle. Um, you know, uh, two key components, obviously, of the cover are the title and the picture. And people struggle with this. They're like, should I put my own picture? Should I put a real picture? Should I put an illustration? Should I put something symbolic of my business or the book itself? So let's talk about those two things because they're very significant. The, the title itself and the picture itself. What makes a good title and what kind of picture should you choose? Again, I would reference back the title. If, you're, if your book is nonfiction and you're writing about something, I always tell people stay away from images. Images usually convey uh, memoir. They convey uh, fictional type stuff. But if, you, if your image is isolated, like uh, if your book, Pat Flynn, for example, wrote his book about Will It Fly, he has a story in his book about folding a paper airplane. So the book is about getting your business off the ground and the, the image is just a, uh, a picture of a folded paper airplane. That makes sense because it relates with the cover and what's inside. Um, I rarely encourage authors to put their face on their book anywhere, even on the back copy. Some people are like, oh, I like to see my book. And, 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 and the reason is, if you're not known, I'm not buying your book because of you. Your grandmother is, your next door neighbor is, but the average Joe isn't buying the book if you're not. Um, we'll buy a Tony Robbins on it because we know who he is. 
Richard Branson, right? But if you're if you're just an average person, your first book, people aren't going to buy your book because of your face, unless they've seen your face in the media. So that's one thing. I don't encourage people to put their own picture on there. And as regards to title, here's my rule for titling. The title is the hook. For example, the book Made to Stick. It's a great title. It's a, about, it's a business book about creating a, a, a stickiness to your business, your concept, your message, right? Great title, Made to Stick. It has a picture of a duct tape, I think, on the front, which is great. Another great image. It goes with the title. So your, your title is your hook. What is this about? What it, it captures my attention. It's easy to share. It's easy to say, what are you reading? Um, that's what it should be easy to say what they're reading. The second part of the title, which is the subtitle, um, should be the, the promise or the gift or the thing that the, uh, the, the reader gets, the benefit they get. So it should really deliver, why am I reading this? This is, this is particular about nonfiction. If I, if I know what, I, what it's in it for me, I'm more likely to pick it up. Readers want to know what they're going to get out of it. So the subtitle should have words that people would search, look for, or be curious about if they were trying to get what you're giving them out of their book. So that's my rule of thumb about uh, that. And also in searchability on Amazon and SEO, having a title that has keywords that people are actually already looking for is important. So that's, those are some of my general rules around titles and covers. Yeah, that's some great, uh, definitely some great nuggets of wisdom. You know, obviously, rel rel relatability to the content or the genre, you know, uh, the SEO component, right? You want to think of the Amazon SEO, the Kindle SEO, what people are searching for. Uh, so great wisdom there. Uh, and, you know, the, the second place usually people look after the front cover is the back cover. You mentioned it's probably not a good idea to put your author bio. A lot of authors obviously do that. They put a picture and a little author bio. Uh, but there's so much or so little you could put on the back cover. So where do you start in terms of the, uh, the back cover? Do you put testimonies, accolades, a recommendation, some summary of the book? Tell, what are the key components of an amazing back cover? Uh, well, here's my thinking. Because when you have a book on Amazon, you get a lot of real estate. Let's use Amazon first. On Amazon, you get to have your picture right there with your book. They allow you to upload using Author Central. You can upload your photograph. Uh, so you don't want to waste the real estate unwisely. You want to be able to, to use the book as a sales tool. Because again, people don't know you if you're a new author. I think of the back of the book is if I have to sell the, if I only have the cover and the back cover to sell this book and they, nothing else, let's say it's sitting on the shelf of somebody's uh, a friend's house and they pick it up by looking at the front cover and the back cover, will they want to read this? So I'd say the back of the book should be like sales copy should say, what is the problem solving? Uh, like helping the reader make a connection to something they've struggled with. What does this book point out the issues and what is issue? does this really clear expectations and go so they go oh this is for me you want them to say this is for me and you also want them to say this isn't for me you're not trying to sell your book to everyone you want to sell it to the person that will take the most action follow you on youtube who who will talk about it you don't need to have everyone do that and you know what most people are trained 
but the first thing they do, they read the front flap of the cover to see is anybody I know in here. They read the back to see who you are. So they're trained. So you don't need to put it on that back cover. You want them to believe they should read this book more than you want to know who you are. If you have some famous thing or you have something about you worth reading, then yes, put your stuff on the back. But if you've not done anything that makes them want to buy the book, don't put it there because you have real estate on the inside of the book to do that. Uh, because 70% of books are bought digitally, you want to use the space that they give you on the digital platform you're selling to. And your face at a book event will sell the book. They don't need it. They'll see your book on the inside. That's my advice about the back of the book copy. Awesome. Yeah, great, great tips there. Uh, so now we come to the interior. And obviously, people can have the greatest uh, book cover, the front and the back. But you need to have super strong content as well. Uh, even though most people will probably not finish your book. You know, a lot of people will start the book. They'll read up to page 21 or chapter 3. And then life gets in the way. They get busy. But it, obviously, it's very important to have quality content in the book. Uh, so what would you suggest in terms of the length of the book? How many pages? How many words? Uh, you know, how many chapters? Uh, walk us through some of the tips for content. I say I let people know two things. One, there's no right length of a book. Um, and I, I, I used to not think this, but now. Standard book sizes were developed by publishers because they needed the spine to be a certain width so that it could stand out in a bookstore. That's why they're a certain length. And if you've ever read a book that felt like it kept going on and on and on and like they, they were repeating themselves or it was unuseful, that's because the publisher said it needs to be, it needs to be 60,000 words. Go back and add more. It, it's not because it's useful. It should have been done you know, three chapters earlier, but they were long. So first of all, know that books don't have a length. There are standards for the industry about how long books are. Like, you're, it's all about your reader. If your reader expects a fantasy novel and it's only 100 pages, they're going to be disappointed. So it's about the reader. But if you're trying to get across a message in a self-help book, a nonfiction book, they only want to read as long as it takes them to understand and get transformation. So that typically is about 120 pages all the way up to 220s. We get a little bit tired of reading a book about 220 pages if it's not a compelling story. So it's, it, I think it's just human behavior. Um, the other thing to know is that um, in structuring chapters, we because of social media, because of the way we process information, people are reading shorter bits of information now than they used to. So you'll notice now newer books have 25 chapters, but they'll be really short. Instead of having long two-page paragraphs, they'll have five, five paragraphs uh, broken down on a page. They want people to keep moving. Uh, and here's the reason why it's important as an author, just as much as it is for a reader. Let's say you use Kindle as a platform. You deliver your books and you get paid. You're only paid as an author if, for example, they use uh, one of those programs where they can uh, Kindle, Kindle allows you to download books because you're on a, a premium uh, service. You only get paid as an author for page turns. You don't get paid if they don't turn the page. So you want them to turn the page and read your book. You also want them to feel like it's like psychologically, oh, I finished chapter one. I want chapter two. You want them to have reward because unfortunately we're also conditioned to feel like we get something when we're reading. Uh, the reward is, oh, I finished two chapters. I'm on chapter six. 
It doesn't matter to them how many pages it is. They have just a psychological trigger. So I encourage people, if they want people to keep moving, think about chapter length. Think about paragraph length. I'm not telling you that's the right or wrong way. I'm just saying think about it. Think about your audience and how they consume things. Uh, my mom would be happy to read 25 pages in a chapter because she's more conditioned. A 25-year-old audience, they want to move quickly and fast. So those are some things I give people to authors. Know your audience and know how they interact with text. Um, the structure, never start a book before or after it needs to be. So here's my example. I'll use a fiction example, if that's okay. Um, people don't want to read the book that starts off really slow anymore. And that's true for fiction as well. So it's much better to start at the point where there's no return, which means I have to know what happens next, right? We're built on that. Like, what's next? So if you start a book, uh, let's say a fiction book, and you say, standing at the edge of the cliff, I grabbed her hand, I turned around to look at the army chasing me, and I made the decision that instant to jump. You're going to want to know what happens next, right? The same thing of a nonfiction book. Don't spend your whole time tell your whole life story if you're talking about you start it with the moment where there's no way to not listen and i think that's important people often tell too much that's not important and start too late start right what it needs to start and tell it from that moment um so that we keep turning the page we're we want them to read our book and uh, structures that are, are forced, but they're, they're actually important to you as an author. You want them to read your book. You have important things to say. So the shock factor, right? The shock factor, the surprise, the foreshadowing, the teaser, like what will happen next? Point of no return. I love it. Uh, yeah, definitely some great wisdom there because it will almost force the person to find out what's next. Uh, so, uh, you know, we've talked about obviously the book itself. Uh, the exterior, the interior, and now it comes to the harder part. You could write the greatest book in the world, but if you don't market it well, no one's going to read it, and it's going to be sitting in your basement. It's going to be sitting in your back of your trunk. It'll be sitting in your garage, and it'll be sitting in the graveyards of Amazon, uh, you know, in page 1 million or page 100,000, right? So how do you get the book out there in terms of marketing? And of course, you have social media, email marketing, but maybe you can share with some traditional marketing, but also some creative, out-of-the-box ways you can market and promote your book. Yeah, so let's, let, let's start with the traditional. Um, I think people start marketing a book way too late. Um, you should market your book from the moment you know you have a book and you're writing it. Um, a lot of people won't do this because they're afraid they won't finish. Market the book early and often. Let people know. People like to be a part of the experience. They're more likely to buy a book that they think they've seen, they heard of, or they've been a part of. So you want to create momentum early. That's why we have movie trailers that for movies that aren't even done being filmed. Uh, you want to create intrigue. You want to interest. People rarely buy something, even if it's the best thing they heard of. They had to have been told by someone, see it somewhere, uh, think they've seen it somewhere, right? Association. That's why we use testimonials. They, oh, if he liked it, it must be good. Oh, I think I heard of it. Like we start creating this buzz. The same thing with pre preparation for a launch. You have to prepare the audience to, to be receptive, open their mind, uh, especially if you're a new author. Your friends may not even know you're writing a book. And you say, yeah, it's my book's there. And they're like, oh, you should have 
told me. And then you didn't tell them. The more you get them involved, the more the audience is engaged, the more opportunities you give yourself to be ready to receive. Um, and do, do like what you do. Traditional marketing and media, your book should be focused around a launch date, which having a daddy blogger relaunch his book on Father's Day is a perfect example of planning ahead. Uh, if, if you're doing a book about animals, maybe you go to local SPCA ACA that's opening up, or maybe you find out what's pet adoption day, build momentum around an event, make it an event. That's, that's traditional marketing. It works now. It will always work. Uh, some of the things I would do to help your marketing that happens with on a local level is, um, be certain that you understand, um, how Amazon works. And this is what I mean. Amazon, being a search engine, provides feedback based on information. So if, if, if you don't know how your book's being searched, you won't understand how to prepare your marketing. So you need to know that your marketing efforts has to happen with reviews. Amazon is paying attention for the first 30 days of your book. So you want to all of your effort as much as you can to happen on the first 30 days. So let's say you are launching your book on the first of a month. You want to make sure that if you're on a podcast, if you're doing a guest blog, if you're on the radio, if you, it, whatever, that those first 30 days gets as much as possible. Downloads matter. And downloads for Amazon um, matter in two ways. First way is you get rankings based on free downloads and paid downloads. Paid downloads probably get 10 times more ranking power than free. But you can get some traction on free. You can get reviews when it's free. Uh, but but paid, paid even at 99 cents counts towards rankings. So don't be fooled. If you can get more downloads but pay less money, then you potentially could get higher ranked. So people are like, well, I prefer to make the money because I know I'll get more purchases. Yes, but if it's not within the first 30 days um, and you don't have a significant number, um, then your ranking will go and come. And maybe you've had that experience where your book gets really high for a minute and then it disappears. You're like, why is my book you know, number 7,405 when it was number one three weeks ago? And here's why. You have to also have reviews. Reviews the other signal that tells Amazon this is a book worth keeping in the ranks. If you don't have reviews that show up as well, then you won't have your book do well. So marketing should, should first be on the platform where you live. So have a plan for getting reviews. Send out early reader copies. Uh, let people know. You can't exchange reviews in exchange for anything. So you, Amazon has strict rules. So know your platform's rules. But you can send out early copies so they have access so they can review it when it goes live. So you want to get, I would say, aim for like 25 reviews um, because that tells Amazon, oh, this is a book not only purchased, but people are buying it and they're reviewing it. So it gives you more power. And you know what? Even if your book doesn't sell a lot, your book will stay in the top 50 no matter how, how few sell. My book has always stayed in the top 20 even when my book doesn't sell because of those initial uh, boost in sales and reviews at the same time. So I, if I put a little bit of juice, my book rises right back up to the top. Um, so you, you've got to understand marketing is about understanding your 
platform. Um, and then also, um, you got to be okay with self-promotion. You got to talk about it. You got to share it. You got to be willing to. People don't just find books. Go, oh, this is a best-selling book. I should read it. People don't know about your book. They're not going to buy it, read it, or talk about it. Great tips, Azul. Uh, so we come to the final topic and the most important topic, the money. Show me the money. A lot of people, they write the book, but they make you know, very few sales and they put in more money in terms of the actual process of writing, hiring the, the graphic designer, the, the, the editor, and then uh, maybe uh, paying for the printing and all the other costs associated with publishing the book. And then in terms of the return on investment, it's very low in terms of the actual financial return on investment. Of course, you can leverage your book for, like what you mentioned, you got a great TED, uh, TEDx talk, and actually I'll have the link below. I had a chance to uh, watch that talk, a great topic all about uh, what makes uh, teachers great, right? So, uh, you know, leverage to get speaking engagements, TED Talks, media interviews, etc. But in terms of the actual money, tell us about some ways that people can make more sales and more money through the book. Yeah. If you want to make your living as an author, plan to write books. Um, there's no way around it. Your first book won't make you tons of money uh, unless you have a huge audience. Uh, your second book probably won't. Your fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh might because it's another reward of Amazon is they give you more traffic if you sell, write more books. They figure if you're in it for the long game, you're probably worth following. But you won't make a lot of money unless you start to be committed to writing books if you want to make your living as an author. If you want to use your book to make a living, which is different than the book making a living for you, uh, you can do multiple things. I'm not saying you can't. I have plenty of friends that know the write books and make multiple six figures a year writing books. So I'm not saying you can't, but that's their intention. They want to write books with a pseudonym and just make money. I wanted to use my book as leverage to be able to get speaking gigs to grow a platform. And you're not going to make a lot. Most of them don't make more between a hundred and four hundred dollars a year. Um, sometimes even the life of their book. But what my book has done, which is what I wanted to do, was to give me opportunity. So now I'll get an email saying, "Hey, we'd love you to come be a, a, a keynote speaker," and I'll get paid three thousand dollars to speak for forty-five minutes. Um, so the return on investment for me is about getting leverage for my expertise, about getting. Uh, myself out there. It's a much more powerful tool. People accept you as an author way more than they accept other mediums because it's been around longer, right? 500 years of book publishing is a lot harder to beat than a podcast that's only been around a few, few years. Not even, in fact, most people don't even know what a podcast is. Thank you for those of you who are listening or watching this. Um, so I'd say make your decision that your book returns residual effects in proportion to how you use it. It's an opportunity. It's it's a launching pad of things. Um, it, other things could be books, but it also could be uh, opportunity for you if you want to get your foot in the door to be a consultant. Um, I'll give you an example. Let me be practical. So I had somebody come to me to work with me on his book. He wanted coaching. He's trained classically as a musician. He's a French horn player. Went to school and uh, you know knows prestigious people at Juilliard. So you would expect him to be doing really well. The problem about these art schools, they don't teach people how to get work. They just teach them how to play the instrument. So you get out and you meet all these people who are working in coffee shops who are amazing cellists and incredible flautists and they, they just can't get work. So he wanted to write a book to help other people uh, get more work because he really, he was busy. He had, he's always heading clients. He always has gigs. He has 
teaching clients. So he wrote the book called Breaking Into the Scene, and he wanted to help them get more business as a uh, uh, and that not only did he build a course around it, so now he has income residual income coming in from a course called Breaking the Scene. Um, he he applied for a job because he's like, I'd like to do more work where digital marketing that we built a plan for launch of his book. And he walked into his interview, and there on the shelf, he saw his book. Uh, it, he went from being a music major with no business or marketing degree or even experience. But because the book talked about marketing experience, he was able to walk into an interview for marketing without a marketing degree or any marketing professional experience and land that job, making um, a really good salary. Um, so books can have value. You just have to make sure you understand what the value that you to get. Yeah, and it goes back to how we started this interview, your purpose, right? Some people's purpose is to build up their brand, uh, to get speaking, to get media interviews. Some people is to make a full-time income through the books alone. So it goes back to that purpose. So you've started well and you concluded by making a full circle, all about the purpose <laughs> and what you want to achieve with the book. Uh, so you've been an amazing wealth of experience and expertise on the show here. Even for myself, I'm a published author, but I'm just like, man, you know, that was a great piece of advice. I wish I'd done that. I'm going to do that for my next book. So I'm super happy just to uh, learn from you. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners and viewers are going to be super impressed with uh, your level of expertise on the subject. And they might want further help. And of course, you have your academy where people can, uh, you know, get support and help. And of course, that key accountability piece, and you have your one-on-one -on -one coaching if people want to work on a more personalized level with you. Uh, so tell us about uh, those services you offer and how can people connect and uh, you know, uh, gain more support through your wisdom. Yeah, so you can go to coachazul.com and find out more about me and you'll see where I do my coaching. And if you're not sure you want to write a book, you're sure you want to make a big run, I, I program called uh, the Born to Write Challenge. It's a five-day free challenge where you can uh, get your big idea, uh, get accountability, get and get your book out of you in, uh, in a very short period of time. And that's a free challenge. And you can always find me on the Born to Write podcast to learn more from authors just like you about how they get started and how they're using their book. So uh, coachazul.com can find all those resources. There you go. And make sure you grab a copy of uh, uh, Azul's uh, personal book as well. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes for his amazing podcast. I've been listening to several different episodes and it's uh, definitely helped me as well. Uh, some great insights from uh, fellow authors and uh, you'll be able to get their insights as well, not just Coach Azul's. And of course, uh, you know, you can uh, sign up for the trial, the five days and see how that's like. And then of course, uh, more of the paid programs and paid coaching as well. So Azul, uh, you know, it's always great to connect with a fellow dad, a fellow entrepreneur, fellow author, fellow podcaster, and a fellow nomad. So thanks, my friend, for being on our show here today. Thank you so much for having me, Ricky. You're very welcome. And once again, apologies if there's any hiccups or lags in the internet, but hey, it's all part of the journey. So, uh, you know, uh, make sure you subscribe to uh, Azul and his podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on our podcast as well. Grab Azul's books, grab my books, and we'll look forward to grabbing your books as well. You, as Azul says so clearly, were born to write. So thanks, everyone, and we'll catch up with you guys in the next episode.